You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Varallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. It is good to be back. Alex will be joining us shortly. A little bit of an early start tonight. So he's uh, he is on his way. And uh, it's good to be back. Obviously, missed last week's show. Alex and I set one up. And uh, not very long before the show, had some technical issues. I wasn't going to be able to call in. I did say before I took off for a few weeks that I was going to a spot where the Wi-Fi was suspect at best as it turned out it was atrocious so uh internet access was was hit and miss even in 2019 there are places where uh it's not all that reliable so apologies for not being able to to churn out some regular shows on a or some shows on a consistent basis and not being able to join alex last week for his 53 roster 53 man roster prediction which as we know, the 53-man roster uh, was reached with all the moves the Jets made. As always, there are some surprises. We'll talk about that later on once Alex joins us. We will be joined also in a little while by Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. Manish joins the show every now and then, does a great job covering the team. Polarizing guy, Manish Mehta. A lot of people get upset. He, he rubs a lot of people the wrong way. And I'll say, And I'm going to say this. Uh, you know, one thing about Manish, even though, so, you know, like I said, some people love him. Some people give him a lot of, a lot of, a, a pretty hard time on Twitter and Facebook and all that. And, and I don't say this to disparage any of the other Jets writers. I've, because, you know, getting out to camp, I've met a lot of them. I, I, they're all good guys, but to me, Manish is the one guy who I consistently see breaking stories that I know everyone, Oh, he's, he's got made up sources and blah, blah, blah. And and he, he breaks these stories that come to fruition. And it's kind of like, well, you know, if he's making stuff up, he's got a hell of a crystal ball. Because uh, Manish does does break a lot of stuff that nobody else gets. And when he does, people, oh, you, you got lucky. Right, you, you get lucky by guessing that Todd Bowles is going to fire his offensive coordinator in the middle of the offseason. Um, as was the case a couple years ago, John Morton. That was one of the bigger stories that Manish just, just came from out of nowhere. Um, so... Again, I know he's polarizing, but in my 30-plus years as a fan, because this team has struggled so often the way they have, the fan base will often take their frustration out on the writers. Before it was Manish, it was, you know, Samini was with the Daily News, and fans were always getting on him. And uh, when the team isn't playing well, the, the fans have to scream at somebody, and that, that, that's often Mr. Manish Mehta, who is joining us now live. Manish, are you there? I'm glad I'm here, Glenn, and I have my crystal ball with me. So you know, let's go. Yeah, exactly, Manish. I, like I was, <laughs> uh, you, you I, I literally said I'm going to say this before Manish calls in, and you, and you came on as I was mid sentence. But just, I, you know, I see some of the the heat you get online, and uh, it comes from all directions. But I'll tell you what, I I think nowadays with uh, with Schefter and Rappaport, those guys eat everything up, and you guys got to work your asses off to get scoops. And uh, at least from from my vantage point, I see you come up with more than most. So, uh, so you know, kudos for that. But let's let's get right into this this current the you know the state of the Jets right now. Preseason is finally over. We're ready to roll into the regular season. And uh, first thing I wanted to touch on, uh, not you know for the obvious reason that Vijay Polite being let go, uh, just the fact he didn't make the team was news in itself. But uh, to me, the the positive there is that it looks to me like Adam Gase, at least when it comes to discipline, is going to be what everyone Todd Bowles would be and turned out not to be. Um, accountability, you know, reports that Ja'Kai Polite was fined up to $100,000 for his transgressions in a very short time frame and then was let go despite being a third-round pick. So as a fan, that makes me excited that, you know, I, I wanted Ja'Kai Polite to make it. I feel like maybe they should have put him in a better position to succeed. But is Adam Gase... Do the Jets finally have a head coach who's who's going to be, you know, lay, you know, uh, 
holding guys accountable, which is what the fans have wanted for some time now. Well, he certainly held uh, <laughs> Polite accountable in terms of uh, his wallet, that's for sure. Uh, look, I'm of the belief that when you have a 21-year-old third-round pick uh, who has obviously made mistakes this offseason, uh, you know, not, not no legal transgressions, but mistakes in terms of not, you know, really understanding what it is to be a professional. Uh, I'm of the belief if the guy has talent, uh, and again, he hasn't done anything egregious off the field, uh, I think you should cultiv- try to cultivate his talent and keep him around for longer than one off season. Now, look, if things don't change by the end of the season or by the the beginning of the 2020 season, then sure, you know, go ahead and and cut him loose. You know, you see the Patriots do that from time to time. They have a premium pick, you know, whether it's a second, third, fourth round pick, and they let him go prior to the start of that guy's second season. But to do it before the guy has even played in a regular season game, and again, he hadn't done anything egregious, uh, uh, is a little bit questionable in my mind, because let's not forget that even though Mike McCagnan drafted him uh, and deserves culpability, uh, Adam Gase was the head coach at that time. Uh, He was involved in the draft uh, decision-making process. He did like Ja'Kai Polite, so uh, sure, he held him accountable in terms of finding him, but uh, uh, I, I fundamentally disagree with the notion of cutting ties with the third-round pick uh, after his first off-season. A, a young player, uh, a guy who's got world of ability. Maybe he, you know, he never gets it. Maybe he never becomes a pro. Who knows? We'll see. But uh, to give up on a player that quickly uh, and essentially throw away a third-round pick that quickly is something that I, you know, uh, fundamentally disagree with. Yeah, that's uh, I don't, and I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying. I, you know, I said right after the cut that I was surprised for to give up on a guy who had that much talent. But uh, again, the, the silver lining to me, and and again with Jakai Polite, you know, in time we'll find out if it was if they jumped the gun. But I I do think he's a talented guy. But also, uh, just having having a head coach that was, you know, again, holy, making accountability a priority, whether it was a bit too much, uh, too early, we'll find out. But, you know, yeah, it's a fine we, line, Glenn, because he, he held guys accountable, uh, you know, accountable in quotes in Miami as well. You know, he didn't get along with Jarvis Landry, and and Landry got moved moved uh, to Cleveland, and Landry's a talented player. So uh, there's obviously a lot of value in holding your players accountable. You don't want uh, a zoo, you don't want the, a loose ship, but uh, but just given this specific circumstance not only is he a young talented player but he's a young talented player who offers a skill set that your team desperately needs and still needs there is no edge rusher of any consequence on this roster and and maybe Ja'Kai Polite could have developed into that so uh I, I know what you're saying I agree with you in principle holding guys accountable is is a good thing but sometimes I think maybe you can kind of jump the gun a little bit yeah, and that that's actually a good lead into my next question, talking about how that is a need for this team. You know, looking at the roster, the way it's currently constructed, 17 guys on the roster in the front seven, uh, between nine D linemen, eight linebackers. That's a lot of bodies there, even if Greg Williams does want to rotate guys out on a D line to keep them fresh. But do you see any moves? And, of course, five corners, five receivers, which people feel like that's a little bit low. Uh more moves could be eminent. Adam Gase kind of grinned and said he, he'd prefer some more receivers when the media asked him about it the other day. Um, do you see more moves coming, and why not? Just to throw a specific name out, only because I'm, I'm really surprised, as you mentioned, uh, with Ja'Kai Polite, a position where it's hard to find people. Um, how, how has somebody not kicked the tires? I know there's been some injury issues, but how has somebody not kicked the tires on a guy like Nick Perry who has 17, 18 sacks over, uh, you know, between 16 and 17. And is he a guy that you, if you're the Jets, do you say, look, we don't have an established edge guy. Here's a guy who was a pretty damn good edge rusher for a couple of years, not long ago. Um, do you bring a guy like that in? And, and who are some other names that you sit back and, you know, we all look at the list of who's out there. Who jumps out at you as a guy that you go, man, if I'm Joe Douglas, I'm going to call that guy and at least, you know, touch base and see what he's looking for. Well, look, Perry's a guy who had been available over the last several years. I know it's a different regime, different decision makers. The Jets didn't have interest in him, uh, you know, a few years ago. Uh, you know, he's 
you know, I want to say if he's not 30, he's close to 30 years old. Uh, does it hurt to bring a guy in for a workout, kind of kick the tires? No, it doesn't. Uh, but guys at, at that position are, are not readily available in early September. And if, if the guy is on a team, they're probably not going to move him unless it's something like Barcavius Mingo in, in Seattle who was involved mm-hmm. in, a, in a deal, in a ser- you know, a series of deals in which Javian Clowney ultimately went to Seattle. So that's kind of an unusual circumstance. I don't think there's – there is no elixir out there. So guys like Basham, guys like Lou Vu, Lange, Jordan Jenkins, you know, the guys that are already in-house are going to have to make do, uh, and Greg Williams is going to have to you know, bring corners and, and safeties on blitzes to generate pressure off the edge. That's just the reality of, of the situation for Joe Douglas in 2019. So I can't tell you – that I know of anybody that he is pinpointing in terms of bringing in, whether it's off the street or in some kind of minor transaction. But I can tell you with great certainty that no matter who that player is, if that player does in fact come into the building, it's going to be a depth player. It's not going to be an impact player. Uh, you know, that ship had sailed uh, after the draft. And that's, you know, one of the realities of having a general manager join your team six weeks after the draft. He's essentially saddled with, uh, whatever the previous general manager uh, gave him. And, and we're not going to find out exactly what Joe Douglas is going to do and what Joe Douglas is going to be, frankly, uh, until the 2020 free agency period. And that's when Joe Douglas can put his stamp on what he thinks uh, should be corrected, what he thinks can be upgraded. Uh, but in terms of this season, it, these are not going to be impactful players. You know, you'd mentioned wide receiver. To me, that's an interesting room because you've only got five wide receivers, but the reality is that Adam Gase has six wide receivers because if he ever needed uh, in desperation mode to turn to a wide receiver to kind of pull him through some hard times, he would turn to Ty Montgomery. Montgomery, in effect, has that flexibility of being a running back and a wide receiver because he was a wide receiver in college and, and you know he came into the league as a wide receiver for Green Bay. So it's a little bit misleading when you look at that number and say five wide receivers. That's true. However, the reality is that you know, if given uh, the choice between Josh Bellamy, for example, let's say there was a rash of injuries and, it, and Josh Bellamy, you're staring at Josh Bellamy or Ty Montgomery being a full-time wide receiver for a particular game, obviously uh, uh, Adam Gase is going to turn to Ty Montgomery before he would turn to, 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 to Bellamy. So, uh, yeah, they have five wide receivers. The reality is that they have six. Would they add another guy? You know, I, I'm not sure. And, again, whoever they add is, is not going to you know, get any kind of meaningful snaps and playing time. And if Robbie Anderson or Quincy Anunwa or Jamison Crowder, all three, by the way, who have a history of injury, uh, if, if those guys were go to go down, multiple guys were to go down, I think you would see a fundamental shift and have Ty Montgomery become a full-time wide receiver. And now – if if they were to look at it, if they were to bring somebody in, you know, I, I said at the top, every time, you know, any team does a 53 man, when they cut down to 53, there are always one or two guys that are sort of, you know, they, they stick and it's, it's a little bit of a surprise. You know, you look at a guy, you're like, well, you know, th- this guy and this guy, they're probably 52 and 53. Who do you see as the guys who are, who are on the bubble, so to speak? If, if, if a body gets added tomorrow, who do you think is, is the guy the Jets are going to target to let go? Because I look at a guy like Nathan Shepard, and I saw a million, you know, a million predictions that he wasn't going to make the roster, and he did stick. Is it someone like him? Is it a Lange who's an inexperienced guy, in your view? I think uh, it's funny you said Shepard because he was a guy that came to mind immediately. Uh, they like this undrafted rookie kid, Kyle Phillips. Uh, I, I, think, you know, I think if it became a choice between – Phillips or Shepard, I think they actually would choose Phillips to stay. So Shepard would be a guy, I think, uh, that would, uh, you know, might be on his way out. Uh, Lange is an interesting case because before he hurt his knee in uh, in training camp, uh, they actually thought he was doing the best among that group of unproven outside linebackers. That includes Luvu and then, you know, defensive end Basham and then, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, but, uh, God, his name's escaping me. The kid from... Uh, whose mother is a politician, his father played uh, in the NFL, uh, Kafusi. Kafusi. Yeah, Kafusi. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, they like all those guys. 
and I think each of those guys offers something, uh, you know, a little bit different. Uh, Lange was the guy that actually impressed them uh, in the spring and in the uh, – well, I should say in the early part of the summer before he hurt his knee. So would he be expendable? Perhaps. Uh, I mean, I'm not exactly sure how they feel about him post the uh, you know, knee issue. But, uh, the, you know, again, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to diminish the bottom of the roster because the bottom of the roster is important specifically for special teams. But, uh, you know, if you're, if you're kind of clinging your hopes to, you know, this team being successful or not successful because of – the roster gymnastics, you know, from player 48 to 53, you know, probably, you know, you're probably wasting your time because, you know, those guys are important, but they're only important to a certain extent. And now the biggest concern on this team right now, obviously, is the cornerback position and where you've got Tremaine Johnson and Dow Roberts slated to start. Johnson, uh, from, from what it sounded like before he got the hamstring injury, was having a pretty decent camp. He had a few picks. Uh, you know, every few days you saw him, you know, you saw his name pop up as a guy who was making plays. Darrell Roberts is, is a really interesting one to me because I, I felt like he was playing really good football last year before he got moved to safety uh, for the final six games of the year. So, you know, will he pick up where he left off or was it a fluke? We don't know. And it's that that's going to be a huge factor in this season. But what what do you think the ceiling is for this this cornerback? If, let, let's say hypothetically Tremaine Johnson, Darrell Roberts, stay healthy. Um, are they as bad? I mean, I'm hearing people talk about these guys like they're going to be the, the 31st or 32nd, you know, uh, ranked corners in the league. Are they, could they be a middle of the pack uh, duo at one and two, or are they as bad as everybody fears? Well, look, I think uh, the ceiling for them as a, as a duo is middle of the pack. It, it's attainable only if Tremaine Johnson becomes uh the very good cornerback that he was with the Rams. Uh, you know, he, he's never been an exceptional cornerback. There's a reason why he's never made a, an all-pro team, first or second, or a Pro Bowl team in his career. Uh, at his peak, he was a very good player. Uh, fortunately for him, he hit free agency at the exact right time when there was a dearth of cornerbacks uh, available, and that's why he cashed in, and smartly so. Uh, it was an interesting dynamic because he got the franchise tag twice from the Rams for a particular reason. They, they did not want to invest in him long-term because they also believed that he was a good to very good cornerback, not an exceptional cornerback. Uh, uh, you know, that that's all well and good. I mean, if I'm Tremaine Johnson, I'm saying, okay, you can think whatever you want, but I'm cashing in year after year. And uh, from a financial perspective, he just hit this windfall. It's, it's amazing when you look at that there's a four- or five-year window when you include the two franchise years that he had with the Rams plus the two or three guaranteed years he has with the Jets. That four- or five-year window rivals the money that Darrell Revis made <laughs> at his peak. So it, it's a, you know, from a business standpoint, it's unbelievable uh, for Tremaine Johnson. But from a football standpoint, uh, do I think he can become that corner that he was in – uh, you know, in uh, in L.A., St. Louis, yeah, I do. I think he can do that because, again, we're not talking about an exceptionally high bar here. We're talking about, you know, a guy who's just short of Pro Bowl caliber. And I absolutely think that he can he can do that, and I absolutely think he can improve greatly upon his season from a year ago when, you know, the injuries kind of hobbled him. Uh, but he needs to do that. Anything short of that, and then this, this duo will be below average, potentially well below average. Uh, Daryl Roberts, to me, is an unknown, as you said. Uh, yeah, he played, uh, you know, above what many people thought he was capable of playing last year, and you got to give him credit for that. He was very good last year. And he got rewarded with the deal, which is in effect a short-term deal. But uh, he, you know, he can't take away his production from last year. I thought he was very good last year. Can I tell you for certain that he can duplicate that this year? No, I, I can't. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think Greg Williams can either. So there's an unknown there. Brian Poole, to me, offers a lot of attitude, a lot of, you know, toughness, uh, really good against the run. Uh, but can he consistently cover shifty guys in the slot or, or you know, some of the, the number one wide receivers who often move into the slot? Uh, I, don't think, I don't think he can consistently do that. So this, you know, this group uh, of the two outside guys and the starting nickel are shaky. And, you know, you mentioned are they 31st or 32nd the you know best in the league. I, I don't know. I, I can't you know I can't tell you honestly that I've analyzed every cornerback group in the NFL. Uh, I know there's some pretty bad ones out there. You Kansas City is a great team, but their corners are awful. So uh, I know that there's some 
some shaky groups uh, at that position uh, across the league. So I, I would say that the, the potential is there for them to max out it as being a middle-of-the-pack type of group. But then there's also the possibility that they could be among the, you know, the worst handful of cornerback groups in the NFL. And, you know, as I'm sure you've discussed uh, ad nauseum, there's not much depth at all. I mean, they, you know, they quote unquote improved over the last several days by getting some guys with a little bit more experience, but clearly guys who are not really dependable and guys that were available for a reason. So uh, that's the Achilles heel for me. Uh, we can talk about edge pass rush being a problem, but there are ways to you know, generate pass rush again with the defensive backs blitzing. Uh, there's also a hope that you'll get enough pressure up the middle to get the quarterback off his spot. Uh, that can certainly help out some of the edge guys. But uh, ultimately, some of these guys got to get home, whether it's up the middle or it's on the edge. Because if they don't get home, uh, I don't think these cornerbacks are nearly good enough to, you know, hold on uh, an extra second or two in coverage. And if and if that is the case, uh, I think this defense has the potential of giving up a lot of points and a lot of big plays. Yeah, I think that's a that's a spot on analysis. Uh, in, in terms of what the defense is going to be up against and, and trying to generate pressure this year, Manish. But before you go, uh, Buffalo Bills week one at home. Uh, give me a quick prediction. And I know I said during the off season uh, that we'd have you on again right before the season starts to get uh, to get to use that crystal ball of yours and 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 let us know what you think the Jets' final record would be. Schedule starts out tough, gets a little softer in the second half. Uh, what do you see in week one? And if you had to bet, if you had to guess. Where, where does this team end up record-wise? I think it'll be a white knuckler uh, on Sunday. Uh, I, I would lean Buffalo if the game were in Buffalo. Uh, since it's not, I'm going to lean Jets. And uh, I just have this vision of Corey Vedvek lining up for like a 45-yard field goal with a minute <laughs> to go uh, with the Jets down by, by one or two. And I don't know if he's going to make it. <laughs> you know, If he makes it, the Jets will win. If not... Uh, they'll come up on the short end of it, but uh, I'm very curious to see how this offense performs uh, against, I think, a vastly uh, improved uh, Buffalo defense. They've always kind of been stout, uh, you know, uh, in the secondary. There's some really good matchups. Uh, I'm assuming Tredavious White is going to play. So Robbie Anderson, Tredavious White, that's a, that's a nice matchup to look at. Uh, there's a young slot corner that's going to go up against Jameson Crowder. I think Crowder should have the the better end of that. So I, I think you, you could see a, you know, a heavy dose of Crowder on Sunday. And then of course, what everybody wants to see in addition to Darnold, what everybody wants to see is what kind of, you know, what, what kind of Le'Veon Bell are we going to, are we going to see in this offense? How is he going to be deployed uh, in terms of lining up as a receiver in the slot outside the numbers in the backfield? Uh, how is Adam Gase going to use clearly his most dynamic offensive weapon? That's what I'm, really intrigued about, the, but it, it's not going to be easy for Darnold. This is a very good defense. Uh, it's a challenge for him. Uh, I'd also like uh, to see how the Jets do in terms of making sure that Josh Allen doesn't run around like a crazy man, because even though they did beat Buffalo late last year in Buffalo, I think Allen you know, ran for a bunch of yards. Uh, and that's, you know, at least at this point in his career, that's really the biggest threat. It's, it's not really his, <laughs> his, uh, you know, his pocket presence or, or you know, throwing the ball, even though I think there's a possibility he could heave it deep a couple times to John Brown, and if Trumaine Johnson or Dow Roberts, whoever's on John Brown, isn't careful, you know, that's a guy who can burn you over the top, uh, and all it takes is one or two plays like that to, to you know, help you lose a game. But, but I do think it'll be very competitive. I, I really do think it'll come down to you know, who makes a play in the fourth quarter, and uh, again, the, the kicking is going to be critical, and I would be lying to you if I said I had any kind of confidence that the Jets' new kicker is going to come through. Maybe he will. He's got a world of talent, but in crunch time, he's never, you know, he's never kicked in a regular season game to begin with. How's he going to respond uh, you know, in a big moment in a regular season game. Uh, <laughs> I just don't know. I mean, I, what I think is intriguing is that, look, for the Jets fans' sake and for the Jets players and the franchise's sake, I would hope that Vedrick would come through and make a big kick like that. But if he did not make that kick and if they lost because of the kicking situation with everything that has gone on this offseason, it would be an interesting post game, that's for sure. Uh, in terms of the season, uh, I'm going to say they're going to go nine and seven. My initial prediction many months ago, five months ago, was ten wins. That was a just an initial reaction. Just kind of looking at the landscape and and seeing some of these players up close and personal, and some of the deficiencies and the potential deficiencies. I think that 
they'll win nine games. It wouldn't surprise me if they won as few as seven games. Uh, I've always believed that this season is not a success if they don't have a winning record. That's not to say that a a seven and nine or an eight and eight season is a failure because I don't believe that. I don't think it's a failure per se. I just think that given all of the additions from the head coach who's an offensive mind to the the quarterback who has a year of experience uh, to the upgraded offensive line. I mean, we'll see what Khalil has left, but clearly assembly, at least on paper, is an upgrade at left guard. Uh, and the two perennial pro bowlers you added in free agency, one on each side of the ball, Le'Veon Bell and C.J. Mosley. Uh, and that's not even uh, – we haven't really even discussed the, the number three pick in the draft, Quinn Williams. Uh, so I think there's enough talent, even with some of the shortcomings they have on the roster, uh, I think there is enough talent to win nine games and to have a, uh, an above 500 record. Uh, it would uh, – you know, not be a success. And look, everyone can have their own opinion, but in my opinion, this season is is a success. If they have a winning record, they don't necessarily have to make the playoffs to have a successful season. But uh, it would be a disappointment if this team didn't get nine wins. Manish Mehta, thank you as always for joining us. Manish of the Daily News covering the Jets for for quite. How long you be doing it now, Manish? I've I've lost count. Uh, the Daily News, this is year 10, and then, uh, you know, I did some backup stuff uh, at the Star-Ledger for, like, the prior four or five years, so uh, at the Daily yeah, News. Yeah, I, I was going to say uh, nine or ten years, and then I thought to myself, has it been that long? So, wow, yes. Manish Mehta. Yeah, I got a, you know, I got a Cal Ripken-like streak going. I have to add up the numbers. I've been to uh, every every game since 2000, and I think since the tail end of 2009, so... I should add that up before Sunday. Uh, see, see, I don't want to jinx myself and get sick or anything. But uh, I, I, I hear you, Manish. Game. All right, Manish, <laughs> uh, thank you so much as always. Uh, maybe we'll get you on again sometime during the season, hopefully during what is what is at least at least a, a season where the Jets are playing some meaningful football late in the year and, uh, and trying to sneak into the playoffs. Thanks again, Manish. Thanks, Glenn. I appreciate it. All right, take care. All right, so that is Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News calling a uh, a nine and seven season, which that's kind of the ballpark. Uh, you know, I, I've kind of bounced back and forth from nine and seven to ten and six. Uh, but you know, would I be shocked if it was? You know what? I'm gonna yeah, I would be shocked if they won seven. Uh, as I as I've said many times before, I feel like if you win five games with with Todd Bowles and a worse offensive line than you have. They, 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 there, there are too many improvements on this roster. As you know, as we've said a million times over now, even though, you know, you may, you're getting a guy in Khalil who may not be the player he was, but he's still better than what they've had at center the last couple of years. Assembly is a huge upgrade at left guard. You added an all pro linebacker, Jamal Adams going into year three, Sam going into year two. You've added Le'Veon Bell. You drafted Quentin Williams, who I think, you know, as I've, you know, I was saying to somebody the other day and you know, other people have noticed it. Hasn't made a ton of plays, but the guy, he drew three or four holding calls, you know, playing playing a handful of snaps every game. NFL off- experienced NFL offensive linemen uh, or guys with more experience than him are, are having to kind of grab and hold on tight because he's he's showing that he, he belongs in this league. So Quinnen Williams, a, a welcome addition. But again, Quinnen, Leo, contract year. Some of the pressure will be off of him with Quinnen coming in. Jordan Jenkins contract year had a nice season last year. Look for him to take another step there, to me. There's just too much talent on this roster to, to not win nine. I think nine games has to be the floor. Um, I guess that, that that's not a wide enough range to say nine or 10, but I, I would be, I would be shocked if the team didn't win nine or 10 games. And I think, uh, I think you'd have to really question what the hell Adam Gase is doing. If, if, if this is another five or six win season, you know, if Todd Bowles won five and then you added all this talent it's uh, you got to add a few wins to that at, at the very least. So as I said earlier, going to go over the depth chart, not the depth chart, but the um, the 53 man roster, which again, as always, some surprises, and you know a few a few things that were you, you kind of saw coming. I would say for me, what what I'm going to start with, because it's probably my favorite story on the roster, is. And I hope he sticks. And that's one of the reasons I asked Manish. I was curious if this is the name he would throw at me. But he mentioned Kyle Phillips. 
Now, you've heard me talk about Kyle Phillips. If you've read what I've written for Jet Nation, you've seen me write about Kyle Phillips. After the draft, when the Jets started grabbing the undrafted guys, he was a guy that jumped out at me when I watched him. And I said a million times, I think he could be, this could be a case of a really good player who was on a really bad team um, at Tennessee who lost to a – who did they lose to the other day? They lost to like, West Georgia, Georgia State, something like that at home. Um, Tennessee's just not very good. And Kyle Phillips, when I watched him, I thought, this dude looks like a pretty damn good player. But I don't think he's going to make the roster because there's too much depth. There's too many, there's too many guys on this, on this D-line. I didn't think he had a shot. But if you would have told me that this team was going to carry nine D-linemen, I would have said, okay, then he has a shot. If you're carrying nine, um, I don't, again, I don't think that's going to stay the number. I don't think they're going to stay at nine. Of course, they added John Franklin Myers, who was a surprise cut. And he's a guy who, you know, uh, surprise cut by the Rams. He's a guy who can add a little bit of pressure in that front seven. And there's just, I mean, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll go position by position. But right now, in looking at this roster, as as currently constructed, and as I mentioned, I think with five corners, you got to add somebody there. Um, and one thing I was surprised, uh, Manish mentioned Ty Montgomery. I, what I thought he was going to say was, of course, you've got Le'Veon Bell, who you can turn to as a receiver. Now, of course, he's probably talking when you go maybe go four receivers, one back. You're going to want Bell to be your one back. But Le'Veon Bell can be a receiver. Bilal Powell can catch the football. Um, and a guy who really, I mean, whether or not he sticks when, when Chris Herndon comes back from his, from his suspension, his four-game suspension, we'll have to wait and see. But Daniel Brown, the tight end, was also a wide receiver in college. So I don't know if they have visions of using him split out wide a little bit, maybe not necessarily to the boundary, but put him in the slot. That type of thing. But as as you look at the roster, we'll, we'll just go position by position. Quarterback, obviously no surprises on the 53. Sam Darnold, Trevor Simeon, that's kind of how most of us had it mapped out. Not a surprise there at all. Didn't think they would carry a third quarterback. I thought they would add Falk to the practice squad. I thought, you know, young guy, knows the offense well enough. Maybe you keep him around and bring him back in. As it turns out, the Jets did just that. So you have Falk on the practice squad, and we'll cover the practice squad as well. So those are your quarterbacks, Darnold, Simeon. You have a vet backup who's got starting experience. That's something that's always welcome. And then, of course, the running back room, Le'Veon Bell, Trenton Cannon, and Bilal Powell. And then, of course, Ty Montgomery, who can who will play some running back as well. Uh, Cannon was the surprise, not the surprise. I mean, the surprise in terms of if you would ask me this offseason, and I did. I said several times that I liked him a lot, that I would, that I liked the tools he had to work with, and I would stash him on IR. That was when I thought this team would keep Eli McGuire. Eli McGuire didn't do enough in preseason to stick, so he goes. He would probably be the next closest thing to a, a surprise cut, letting Eli McGuire go. But you've got Bell, Cannon, and Powell. Uh, it's a good combo because Powell, you know, as we've said before, even though he's 29, he's always had a very light workload in college and the NFL. So his legs are probably a little bit fresher than most 29, 30 year old running backs would be. Trenton Cannon, he's a guy. He's another guy. I was talking to somebody about this earlier. I think that, you know, as we know, coaches aren't going to show you everything that they're going to do during the preseason. They're going to have a few tricks up their sleeve. Don't be surprised if we see Trent Cannon uh, split out wide from time to time because that dude can run. I said it last year in camp. We saw it last year. I mean, you see it. Every, you see it every time he's a gunner on specials. He's the first one down the field. Trent Cannon can fly. So I feel like if you know if his hands are a little better than they were last year, and improved quarterback play, and you know you're you're hurting for receiver help, split that dude out out wide and let him try to blow past somebody, create a mismatch. You know, if, if you see man coverage and Trent Cannon knows he's got a linebacker or a safety on him, slide him into the slot and let him let him just go and get past people because he'll do it. So Cannon's a guy, you have to like him for that reason. I I think Eli McGuire all around was a better running back, is a better running back right now than Trenton Cannon is. But Cannon, what, the value he brings on special teams is what obviously helped him stick. McGuire caught on Cleveland's practice squad. 
Uh, but so that's your, that's your running back room: Bell, Cannon, Powell, and Ty Montgomery, who will get some time as well at running back. And then the wide receivers, which we mentioned, we'll, we'll throw. Uh, we'll mention Mon- Montgomery can play there a little bit. But your primary is going to be Robbie Anderson, Quincy Nunwa, Jameson Crowder, Josh Bellamy, and Braxton Berrios. Braxton Berrios, a five foot nine slot guy, uh, punt returner. Played at the University of Miami, played for the Patriots, and looks to be a really solid uh, addition as a punt returner. If you look at what he's done, he he rarely fails to pick up you know a nice little chunk of yards as a return guy. So that's what bumped Greg Dorch off the roster. We'll talk a little bit about Greg Dorch later. But Berrios is a guy who Adam Gay said while he was in Miami, they scouted heavily. He liked them a lot. Thought about drafting him when he was with the Dolphins. That obviously didn't happen, but Berrios is one of five receivers. And that is, I mean, if that was it, if it was Robbie, Bellamy, Berrios, Crowder, Quincy, that's a thin, thin group. But you throw in the fact Montgomery can play receiver. You throw in the fact that Le'Veon Bell can catch 80 balls out of the, you know, between, not just out of the backfield, but also lining up in the slot. Maybe Brown sees a little bit of time there. Who knows? But I think the, it's the, the help they have at receiver isn't quite as thin as it looks if you just look at the receiver group on paper. Tight ends, I mentioned Daniel Brown. Then, of course, there's Ryan Griffin and Trevon Wesco. Wesco, of course, the rookie out of West Virginia, primarily likely a blocking guy early on if he's even active on game days for the first few weeks. And then, of course, Chris Herndon, when he returns, somebody will be let go. It's going to be interesting to see who it is. I, if I had to guess, I would say Brown, but... Um, I mean, let's let's face it. Let's be honest. We haven't seen enough of either guy to say for sure who's the most likely player to go. So that's just gonna we're gonna have to wait for that. On the O line, of course, you've got the starters. You've got Beachman at left tackle. You've got Assembly at left guard. Khalil at center. Brian Winters at right guard, and then Brandon Shell at right tackle. Chuma Doga, the rookie, is a guy who could probably probably play either tackle slot if necessary. Tom Compton, of course, the free agent addition from the Vikings. Jonathan Harrison, the backup center. And, of course, Alex Lewis, who the Jets traded for to acquire from the Baltimore Ravens. So you've got Lewis, who has played some tackle. He's played some guard. You've got Compton, who's played some tackle and guard. Just a lot. You've basically got some versatility, some depth, some experience, guys who have played in the league, uh, you know, more than just a, a game here or a game there. These guys, you know, have a, enough starts that you kind of know they can play at this level. Of course, they're not all pro, all pro type guys. Otherwise, they wouldn't be backups. But they're solid backups. It gives the O line some decent depth. And, and you know, at this point, you have to like that because it it feels like it's been a long time since the Jets had experienced depth. Now on the D line, as I mentioned earlier, the Jets are carrying nine guys right now, at least per their official roster. You know, of course, some of these guys might see some reps at linebacker, but what we've got is, of course, your starters. And and, and this is, you know, we've discussed. This will bounce around a little bit because we'll see them go from a 3-4 to a 4-3 and back again because they have the personnel to do it. You've got Henry Anderson, Leonard Williams, Quinnen Williams, Steve McClendon, those will probably be your four when they're in a 4-3. But then you've also got Fuller Runs of Fadakasi, a second-year guy who had a very, very good uh, preseason. John Franklin Myers, who I mentioned, the addition off of waivers from the from the Rams. You nearly said the Packers. I don't know why. Uh, Bronson Kafusi, who had himself an excellent camp. Kyle Phillips, who I mentioned. Nathan Shepard, who was a surprise to stick. Many, many people had him going. And as Manish said, that was the first name that came to mind for him when I asked who might be next to go if an addition is made. And then, of course, you've got the two Williamses, Leo and Quinnen. That's a lot of bodies, but that's a lot of talent. And I I know for me personally, having just gotten back from vacation this morning, um, and as I said, garbage Wi-Fi while I was gone, haven't had the chance to watch much of the new guys um, on any All-22, but John Franklin Myers is a guy that I plan on watching a little bit of tonight. Um, check that out. But the D-line, you love the depth. 
you love, you know, the, the young talent up front. I've talked a little bit about how this team, you know, I, I look at this roster and I can't remember a time as a fan when there were this many guys with this much talent who were sort of 26, 27 years old. You know, of course, there have been some really good Jets teams. You know, the, you know, you specifically you look at all the AFC championship teams that, uh, not that there have been that many. You know, there's been three teams made to the AFC Championship game. But all those teams were carried by, you know, whether it was a veteran quarterback in Vinny Testaverde who was a million years old. And you had guys like Mo Lewis, Marvin Jones. Those guys were, you know, long in the tooth by that point. The leaders on those teams were older veterans. Same thing with the Rex teams. Yeah, you had Sanchez. But, you know, the leaders on that team, were, you know, it was basically the O-line carried that group. Um, and you know, it was it was Mangold, who was sort of in the middle of his career. But, you know, Alan Fanica, Damian Woody, these guys, you know, it was later in their careers. LaDainian Tomlinson was a leader on those teams. So you just didn't have, you know, uh, if, if you look at the top 10 most talented guys on this roster right now, Le'Veon Bell tops it probably in talent and in age at 27. All the others, whether it's Leo or, you know, Quinn and Williams, Marcus um, Marcus May, who we haven't mentioned yet, Jamal Adams, all these guys who are really talented players are 27 or 27 or younger. You know, Ryan Khalil is a guy, in terms of his resume, you could say he's one of the most talented guys, but we don't know how much he has left in the tank. We know No one's expecting him to come in and play at an all-pro level, but if he can just come in and be pretty damn good, we'll take it. But like I said, a lot of a lot of young talent on this roster and a lot of depth on this roster well, I, uh, on the D line, the roster itself. There are obviously, obviously some pretty significant questions. So that's the, uh, that's the D line covered in terms of the linebackers. You can have Jordan Jenkins playing one side. And then I would imagine opposite him is going to might change on a week to week basis. Is it going to be Lange? Lange to me looks a little slower than I would like. Uh, I'm a big Jordan Jenkins fan. He doesn't have the best, uh, you know, he, he doesn't cover a ton of ground or as much as you'd like. And Lange doesn't either. I don't think you want two guys out there that, that don't cover much ground. But Lange, I, I would personally, I hope Luvu gets the nod. I think he's more athletic. And I think. It's, but all in all, in the it'll be Jenkins on one side. It'll be Luvu or Lange or someone like that on the other side in the middle. It's going to be Mosley, and I'll tell you what, I, I said that I thought Neville Hewitt would, would win that inside linebacker job and Blake Cashman might steal it by week five or six. The way Blake Cashman looks against the Eagles, he might steal it by week two or three. That's going to be interesting to see how long they, uh, how long they go with that setup with, just, or it, with, with Hewitt and Mosley in the middle because I thought Cashman looked excellent. But the whole linebacker rundown, Terrell Basham, Really nice camp. Blake Cashman looked really good in game action in the preseason. Neville Hewitt, reliable, underrated veteran in my estimation. Jordan Jenkins, Harvey Lange. Lange's very inexperienced. Frankie Louvu, who flashed the times last season and had himself a really good uh, preseason this year. Albert McClellan comes back. They initially didn't have him on the 53. They brought him back to be a special team stud. And uh, uh, watch out for the special teams unit. They have some guys, man. They have they have a few guys now. When you look at McClellan, you look at what he brings in terms of coverage. Bellamy was brought in at the price he was brought in to primarily be a special teams guy. McClellan, they have some guys on this roster who can uh who can cover. And I think there are some people who are expecting this special teams unit to to take a big step backwards because of the the, the guys they lost. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they come out and have themselves another really, really solid, uh, really solid season. So that covers the D line and the linebackers. The corners, of course, are as you know, as I mentioned with Manish, the biggest concern. There's Nate Hairston, who was traded for from the Baltimore Ravens. Oh, Baltimore! I almost said Baltimore Colts from the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, I nearly said Baltimore Colts. Said Baltimore Ravens. Indianapolis Colts. Nate Hairston. Tremaine Johnson, of course, who people don't seem to recognize that he was having himself a really nice camp before the hamstring issue. 
And this is what we were all hoping for. We were all hoping that once Tremaine Johnson was reunited with Greg Williams, we'd see him play well again. Arthur Mollett, who I'm going to be honest, I i didn't see a lot from him that made me think, yeah, this guy's going to make the roster. But he did. And he's here. And I, that that did surprise me. Third year, three-year guy out of Memphis. Brian Poole. The thing with Brian Poole, what worries me about him is everything I've read about him and everything I've seen. Um, he reminds me of Buster Screen in that he's a physical slot guy who really may not be able to move as well as you might like a slot guy to be able to move. So he's going to have some big hits. He'll be used as a blitzer. He might have some highlight real plays. But I worry about him being able to cover the the short, quick stuff underneath. We'll see if that's warranted. And then there's Daryl Roberts, who I feel like even as someone who defended his re-signing, when, when he was brought back on the two-year deal, what was it, $6 million per, I spoke to some people and I said, look, I, I think based on how he played last year, if he, can t- if he picks up where he left off, he'll be a good player. He, he had a really good stretch. And I don't mean a two- or three-week stretch. He played well for eight, nine, ten weeks last year. And Todd Bowles, in his infinite wisdom, moves him to free safety. or Just had him bouncing around between a couple safety spots and where he didn't play nearly as well. But if he picks up where he left off and continues playing at that level, he's not a bad number two at all. At all. And I, I looked it up the other day. I went on the PFF.com, and I, I thought to myself, I said, I feel like I was excited. Well, I wouldn't say excited. I, was, I, was, I felt good about the Daryl Roberts re-signing. I wasn't over the moon, but I was like, I think he might be able to pull it off. But then I just kind of forgot about him, didn't think about him much this offseason. And all you hear people say is, our corners suck, our corners suck, our corners suck. You kind of caught up in it, yeah, yeah, our corners suck, our corners suck. And then I thought to myself, wait a minute. I, I wasn't saying he sucked when they re-signed him. What, just haven't been thinking about it in a while. Let me, let me go see what, what PFF say about him when he played, because I thought he played well. Um... Great thing with PFF is you can you can sort, you know, just chunks of the season. You don't just have to look at an entire season. So I plugged in. I said week one through ten, NFL corners, uh, overall grade. And from week one through ten, before being moved to safety, Darrell Roberts, I want to say, was the 18th ranked corner in the NFL. And I feel like you have to, every time you mention PFF, you have to say, I know it's not gospel. I know it's not a Bible. I get it. But to me, it's a useful guide that gives you an idea as to how well a guy is playing. And if they're telling me that this guy, you know, what I'm seeing with my eye, I'm looking at him and saying, this guy looks like he's playing pretty good right now. And then I log on to PFF and their numbers say, that guy was playing pretty good right then. I'm I'm feeling pretty good about it, but I'm also realizing that the consistency has to be there. And he's got he's to gotta pick up where he left off. And continue playing at that level. Is it likely? Listen, it's rare that a guy, you know, in his fifth year, you know, comes along at that point and becomes a, you know, a top 20 guy, which is what he was for a little while last year. But as, as you know, as I was talking to Manish, and that, that's kind of why I asked where he viewed his ceiling or the, 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 their ceiling as in, as in uh, Dow Roberts and, and Tremaine Johnson. But if Daryl Roberts can pick up where he left off and Tremaine Johnson can get back to where he was a couple of years ago, all of a sudden this defense doesn't have any glaring holes. They have capable, not great, but capable corners, potentially great safeties. Well, one, I mean, Jamal, Jamal Adams, I'm not saying he has proven he's going to be great forever, but there is no, you cannot give me no sane human being can give me a reason as to why Jamal Adams will not be a great player for the next 10 years. Marcus May, we can talk about the injuries, but he's looked pretty damn good when he's been on the field too. So as of right now, May and Adams are on, they're on the field. They're, they are the two starting safeties with no health concerns as of today. So that's all I have to go off of. And I think if you have capable corners with May and Adams, 
you're doing all right. You, that's a pretty damn good secondary. And the concern to me, as I've said before, becomes Rontez Miles. Because Rontez Miles is a guy who I, I, I love Rontez Miles. I've said a million times, I wish every dude on the team played with his heart. And that doesn't mean the other guys don't. But that dude just has this extra gear in terms of emotion and how bad he wants it. That doesn't mean that he's not limited physically. And we've all, when I say we, I mean every single Jets fan who follows this team closely, who I've spoken to in the last few years. I've never heard anyone say that Rontez Miles is anything more than a box safety. And I don't mean that as a derogatory thing. I mean, some guys are good at some things. The dude's in the NFL. He's an elite athlete. But in that world, in the NFL world, he's not elite. And he struggles with coverage. And that's been my view of him for a couple of years now. I've never met a fan that watches closely that doesn't agree. But Greg Williams seems to think that he's a guy that he would like to have playing deep in his secondary, chasing down receivers. And I don't know how that's going to work out or how long it's going to last. That's why I was not thrilled when Doug Middleton was let go. But he was. Middleton's gone. Now it's Miles, who appears to be the guy Greg Williams will favor when he goes with a three-safety set, which he does like to do. And then, of course, there is Matthias Farley. Now he's an interesting get. He's 27 years old, four-year guy, who was really respected in that Colts locker room. Uh, you, you saw what the owners said about him, what some of his teammates said about him, what fans said about him. Uh, you got the impression he was a really strong leader. Had himself a nice season a couple of years ago. He was an all-around guy, coverage, run support. So, again, having not had the uh, the luxury of, of Wi-Fi, I've not watched much of him yet. But the impression from what I read, his grades as well, you know, looked him up on PFF, might be, a, might be a pretty good player, might be a pretty good get. And then Bennett Jackson, who was claimed off waivers as well, the former Baltimore Raven. So, Jackson... Farley, Adams, May, and Miles are the safeties. Not a bad group, especially at the top. And then your specialists, of course. You've got Lack Edwards won the punting job, as he should have. Hennessy's your long snapper. And then Manish Mehta and his his crystal ball has him concerned with Karavedvik, who has never kicked in, a, in an NFL game. And that's concerning to me. This is a this is a supposed to be a this you know a promising season. If if they go out there and lose this game because this dude misses a couple of field goals, you talk about taking the wind out of a fan base's sails in an instant. And I don't want to hear. I, let me talk about this 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 situation. This Jason Myers that every everyone in the world now. Is talking about what a travesty, what a travesty it is that Mike McCagnan didn't sign him. This is a guy who, you know, had one big season, one big season with the Jets, one big season as, as a pro, and you're going to tell me that the prudent way to go about building a roster is to is to take a guy who's had one good season and pay him like he's one of the best in the NFL at his position, which he might go on to be. He might go on to be the greatest kicker of all time. But I'm not going to bash a GM, any GM, for saying, listen, uh, this guy was a career 75% field goal kicker until he had one big year with us. And now he wants $5 million a year. I'd be like, hey, you know, you want to dump him, dump him. That's, that's a lot of money for a guy with one big season. And so now all of a sudden it's like, oh, how, what were the Jets thinking letting him go? They were thinking he was a career, eh, kicker, eh. Wasn't great, wasn't terrible. Probably closer to bad than good. And then he has a big season. And he wants $5 million a year. If the Jets gave that any GM, whether it was McCagney, whether Douglas does it, any, you give that guy $5 million a year, 
and he misses two or three kicks next year, you know, in the first week or two, all of a sudden you're the you're the biggest idiot in the league. You got duped by a career jag who was never anything until he was playing for a contract. Who in the world pays that much for a kicker? It's not a premium position. You're paying him like he's elite. How did you know he isn't? Didn't you do your homework? This GM is a moron. This is a fireable offense. This is all the crap you would be hearing if you gave a guy $5 million off of one good season. And even Mike McCagnan, who, let's face it, the vast majority of Jet fans would agree, Mike McCagnan was an idiot. He was a moron. He couldn't identify talent. Okay. He never had a hard time finding a kicker. Every year they had a good kicker. A couple guys had their best year. Their best years under under McCagnan. So now all of a sudden finding a kicker is like uh, rocket science. The hardest thing in the world. Same thing with center. Oh my God, oh my God. We need a center, we got to have a center. You can't win without a center. But yes, you would like the best player you can get at every position. But listen, how, how many Super Bowls does this team win with Kevin Wine and Nick Mangold? Um, don't get me wrong. I'm thrilled that Ryan Khalil is here. That was a huge get. That was something that, that that's a huge boost. But do I think they couldn't have played well with Jonathan Harrison? I don't think he's as bad as people think he is. He's not elite. But I say it all the time. Fans get caught in this sort of uh, this 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 psychological thing, this this game in their head where if you're if you're not a Pro Bowler, you suck. If you're not great, you suck. If you're not an all-pro, you suck. Like, there is some in-between. As I've said many times, it's okay to have some guys on your roster who are okay or pretty good. Not everyone's going to be great. And the kicker right now on the Jets, we don't know what he is. Dan Bailey. I mean, Dan Bailey was out there. Sorry, not Dan Bailey. Dan Bailey's the guy who, who took the job. After the the Vikings went out and they gave up a draft pick in order to to acquire the guy who was supposed to replace Bailey. I mean, Dan Bailey, million-year-old veteran. He's been in the league forever. And then all of a sudden, he misses a couple of kicks. And he's on he's on the outs. And Vedvek, they go out, they go, what, a fourth, fifth rounder to go get him. And then Vedvik goes one for three, one for four, whatever it was, and he gets cut. So the first time he feels a little pressure, he starts missing kicks. And now he's your starter. And this week one game, I'll tell you what. I've said a few times, there's no way they lose to Buffalo. Can't lose to Buffalo week one. Can't do it. Can't do it. But the reality of the situation is, you look at the, the Bills roster, and... That defense is good enough. They they might be maybe not as good, but but they're going to be a team that's going to their defense is going to keep them in games. And if one or two guys make a play, the Bills are going to steal some game. They're going to steal some wins. And you don't want to be that team in Week One that lets them steal their first win because they're not. It's not a stacked roster. It's not a great team by any stretch. But when your defense can keep you in games, it might come down to Vedvik. The Jets might need a big kick out of him. And you went with him and and passed on any of the, the experienced guys. That's a that's a bold move. And all you can do as a Jets fan is hope that it pays off. Because it right now, as much as we've talked about corner being an issue. We know how quickly a kicker can cost you a game in the NFL. And you're bringing in a guy in a season when you've built, well, not you haven't built, but you you are the overseer of what is a really talented roster. And everyone talks about, you know, that, that's the biggest gripe right now, aside from the corner position. We have no depth. We have no depth. This team sucks. We have no depth. Listen. A few years ago, the team had no starters. Do they need? Could they use some depth in a few spots? Absolutely. How many NFL teams couldn't? There's that thing again. 
where people, and I don't know if fan bases of other teams do this, but I know Jet fans certainly, they treat every imperfection as if it's the end of the world. And of course, I don't mean every Jet fan. But the number of people that I see on, on whether it's Twitter, Facebook, they treat every imperfection like it's the end of the world. Oh my God, our corners, our corners are terrible. First of all, been over that. They could very well be a middle of the pack, you know, group. We don't know. We'll see. I'm not saying they won't be terrible. They could very well. But let's, you know, let's let's let them play a few games before we decide how bad they're going to be. Oh my God, our O line. We have no depth. But first of all, yes, you do. You got Lewis. You got Harrison. Experienced backups. You've got Compton, experienced backup. You've got a Doga, young, promising guy. But still, you know, a good number of people losing their minds over that. And and I don't get it. I, I, I understand that it's frustrating because you would like to have 53 All-Pros on your roster. And you would lo- you'd love to have, like, all-world depth across the board. So, I don't, you know, there are moments where I understand that it frustrates the hell out of me that there's not more talent, they're not better here, they're not better there. But this expectation of having, or or this thing where people get, you know, they fly off the handle over, you know, they they treat the Jets as if the issues they have are are exclusive to the Jets. No other team has a weakness. Oh, we're going to suck because we don't have depth on the O-line. First of all, as I said, yes, they do have depth on the O-line. And it's 2019 in the NFL. Nobody's got depth on the O-line. Like three or four teams. Everybody else is struggling to put together a quality starting five. And when they do put together that five, they're kind of looking about like the Jets do behind that, the backups. Maybe some experienced vets with a few starts and some some young rookies who they're trying to bring along. No, Nobody in the NFL has... 10 guys who can play on the O-line and not miss a beat because every single one of them could start for anybody. That's just not reality. So are there holes on the roster? Absolutely. Does the fact that they have holes on the roster mean they can't be good? No. I think this will be a good team. I think we're looking at 9 or 10 wins. And I think that week one is going to be by the way, in case you hadn't figured it out, um, no Alex tonight, unfortunately. Messaged me a little while ago, said uh, he's not going to be able to make the show. So we're uh, we're over the one-hour mark anyway. We're going to wrap up in a, just here with these last couple thoughts. Buffalo week one, it, it's going to be a tough one. I think Buffalo is going to give the Jets everything they can handle on defense. I mean, unless, listen... If Adam Gase comes out of the gate and just, you know, is at the top of his game and how he uses Le'Veon Bell is going to be very interesting. Just Not just how he uses him, but how how much. Is he going to say, look, it's this guy's first game in forever. We're going to limit him to 15 carries, 16 carries. Or is he going to say, look, man, this dude is in a rhythm right now. He's having a nice day for us. Let's just keep handing him the rock and let's try to win this football game. I think it's going to be interesting to see. I don't think he will get a ton of carries. I think we'll see Ty Montgomery get some work. Maybe Bilal Powell. We'll see how that all shakes out. But either way, I think it is a close game. I'm sort of on board with what Manish was saying in that this will probably be a very tight contest. I'm going to say 17-14 Jets. That's what my, uh, my head says. My heart says, you know, 46 nothing Jets. But, uh, you know, that that's how it goes when you're a fan. In your mind's eye, everything goes perfectly. Offense firing on all cylinders, defense firing on all cylinders. And that, the, the, one, the one thing that gives me pause and makes me think they could run away with this thing is if they're fast enough on defense to contain Josh Allen because they should be able to collapse the pocket, pressure Allen, and don't let him get away and make big plays with his legs. If you can stop him from doing that, you're really going to hold that Buffalo Bills offense back, and that's where you have a chance to kind of 
force them three and outs and run away with the thing. But I'm just going to say everyone's a little rusty week one. Nobody's going to be firing on all cylinders. There should be some sloppiness some mistakes. But I'm going to say 17-14 Jets. And for the season, for the year, as I said earlier, I'm in Manisha's ballpark. He said 9-7. and seven. I've been saying 10-6 and six for much of the season. But I got to be honest, after looking at the schedule again a couple times and again earlier today, that Buffalo game, I think that's a tough one. Cleveland on paper, I listen, it's all on paper at this point. No one's played a game. We don't know who can do what. But you got to go with the Browns at this point with the talent they have. Then you got the Pats. Then you're off. Then you got Philly. That's four really good teams. And then Dallas, will Zeke be back? And then you got New England again. I mean, they got a tough stretch early on. I mean, they could lose four of those games. They, oh, they could lose six of them. But let's say, worst case, they lose four. To win ten, that means they only got to lose two the rest of the way. But they do have a fairly weak schedule. So, I'm going to say, you know, I'm, it's in the same ballpark anyway. I'm not going to back down from my prediction earlier in the offseason. I said ten and six a few times. I'll stick with that. I'll stick with ten and six. It's not a far stretch from nine and seven anyway. That's my call for this season. I got to find a bookie before the year starts. It's taking bets on the over. Last I saw the over on there was seven. The Jets, they sure as hell better go over seven wins. But that is it for me this week. I would like to thank Manish Mehta for joining me. Uh, as, as I said, unfortunately, Alex could not call in. He will be back hopefully next week. And hopefully discussing a big Jets win. Thank you so much for tuning in to Jet Nation Radio. We will catch you again next week. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23 and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!